You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we have a special guest, pro volleyball player and national team libero, Dustin Watton, is joining us on the pod where he's going to talk everything passing and digging. And you know I love talking about passing, but you're not going to hear from me. You're going to hear from one of the best passers in the world in Dustin Watton. So stay tuned. Hi. I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 27 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today and joining me on another episode. If you are a regular listener, welcome as usual. And if you are a new listener, uh, thanks for taking the time to click that play button and listen to an episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. You got a bunch to get caught up on, but welcome. And for my regular listeners, uh, you know how it is. My interviews with pro athletes, college athletes, coaches, uh, we're going to definitely have some good stuff for you today. Um, Do me a favor. If you can, you guys want to pause this? Go hit that subscribe button and rate and review the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. You know, my goal is always to reach more people. And in order to do that, I need to be ranked a little bit higher in the podcast realm. So, uh, you know, honestly, I'd, I'd appreciate any uh, any kind of rate or review you, you got for me. I, I, I've, uh, I got a couple of them last week and I do appreciate it. Thank you for giving me some feedback. I love it. And I appreciate you guys for doing that for me. All right. And the last thing that I'm going to say is, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited about this, okay? January 3rd. I want you to mark that date down on your calendar. January 3rd. It's a Sunday night. Many of you are going to start going back to school and work from your your holiday vacation. We are going to be doing, well, actually, I'm going to be doing a coach's workshop, a coach's workshop, a completely free coach's workshop, I might add. And many of you have already attended my coach's workshop. uh, I think it was in October where I talked about being a more efficient coach. Well, this one, we're going to talk about offense how to create your own offense, offensive systems, offensive structure. Man, we're going to we're going to lay it all out. So whether you're in you're a beginner coach or an advanced coach, there's going to be value in there for you. All right? So if you're interested, if you well, first of all, mark it on your calendar. Uh, but if you do want a notification or you want anything like that, just go, go to Digital Volleyball Academy and join the waitlist there, and then you'll you'll be notified when I do release that workshop. Or you can or you know what? Feel free to hit that uh, follow on Instagram. Brian Singh underscore Coach B. You know, follow me on the grams there, um, and I'll post it on my story and stuff like that. Where when I'm when I'm actually hosting it, just to get some reminders going. All right, but it's January third. Oh man, I can't wait. I had a great time in my last workshop, and this one's going to be just as good. All right. Well, I have a great guest here today. I have Dustin Watton, pro volleyball player. Right now, he's currently play, uh, playing in Poland, national team. Libero, he's a sorry, he's a he's a pro libero as well in Poland. Been playing the game for a long time, um, and this this guy is uh, he's he he takes he takes his libero seriously. I'll tell you that he's a student of the game. He watches film. He 
is great in terms of giving back. Uh, I mean, he's done a lot to help players in the sport. Um, he's got a he's got two courses that you can get online: um, a digging course and a passing course, which I'll let him talk about more in the episode. Uh, and I, we're we're just lucky enough to have him take his time to come on and join us. And you're gonna get like you know me. I love talking about passing. Love it. I I, I consider myself. I could, you know what I'm a little toot my horn a little bit here. I'm sorry for doing this, but I consider myself really knowledgeable when it comes to the passing um, skill because I spent a lot of time dialing into this skill. Um, but Dustin's going to give you a little bit of a different angle than I have in the past, and he's going to talk about both digging and passing. So if you're a libero, if you're a passer, if you want to know anything about passing and digging and defense, this is the episode for you. He's the guy to talk to. So let's get right into that interview. Thanks. Here's Dustin. All right, well, I'm joined by the one and only professional national team volleyball player, Dustin Watton. Dustin, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of The Pod. How are you, man? Best day ever. Christian in Poland. It's quite dark and quite cold, but, you know, I'm having a great time. And so I'm really uh, honored to be here and have a nice conversation with you. Great. Yeah, we, I, I, messaged, I mentioned this before, but yeah, we got people from all over. We have listeners in Poland as well. Um, we have listeners from all over the world. I think we're in over 75 different countries now, which is kind of cool, um, predominantly more in Canada and the U.S. But um, I, you're, you're my first libero that I've had on the podcast. I've had setters. I've had opposites. I've had national coaches, but I've never had a libero. So, and I've actually had so many people reach out to me and say, can you please do an episode on the position of libero? I'm like, you know what? I, I, I can't do it justice. So we're going to get the best of the best on here so we can share some knowledge. And, you know, and I know you're all you're passionate about sharing your knowledge with the upcoming generation and coaches. So I can't wait to dive into it. You know what I'm saying? So it'll be, it'll be fun. Um, OK, let's talk about your story, your story to the pros. Where did it start? You know, uh, how did you go about taking the right steps and stages to get to the pro level? I mean, let's hear it. Yeah, it took a long time. And so um Spent five years at Long Beach State. Uh, most of those years I wasn't playing. I redshirted. And then uh, junior junior year, we had some success as a team. Uh, I, I played pretty well. And then senior year, um, we didn't have so much success, but I had um, some individual awards. Uh, I, don't I think second team all MPSF, second team All-American. Uh, Eric was first. And then uh, from there, you know, I, I really didn't think about anything. Like my goal was to play in college because when I was young, I was, I was, you know, not the best player. I was slow. I wasn't quick. I was playing um, down my age. So my goal was just college. My senior year though, I was playing pretty well. And my assistant coach was John Hawks at the time. And he was like, yeah, you know, I think we're, whoever's the national team coach, we're going to write him and uh, recommend you. I was like, Oh, really? <laughs> I was like, that's cool. Cause uh, for me, I was just like, you know, I'll go be a volunteer assistant somewhere and, coach and get my master's and like I, I'd be happy with that and uh turned out that um my coach at the time Alan Knight got the job and uh brought me along uh, very very slowly to say the least uh, and I had my chance to play with the with the B team the Pan Am team and uh played great but you know what I had no contract offers at all I really didn't know what I was doing just nothing so Alan had me stay behind and uh, just train and there really wasn't much to do at that time it was just me and Tyler Hillbrand who's now the woman's assistant at Nebraska and we just lifted set back and forth and that was about it spring kind of the guys came back and then uh, once again really nothing 
you know, no agents, no teams were really interested in me. I was just like, what am I supposed to do? And uh, I got lucky. Um, actually, one of the one of my teammates in college, Eric Lesserman, who was a libero at um, University of California, San Diego, he went his first year and got on a team in Austria. And then going for his second year, he was speaking with his team from Finland, uh, decided that, you know what, one year was enough. I'm going to go back into the real world, have a real job. And uh, bless his heart, he wrote me and he was like, hey, man, I was going to go play for this team. Maybe they'll like you more since you're on the national team. And then he gave me the contract. And uh, I thought that would be it. But that brought on another like four months of waiting because maybe three months because uh, in leagues all over the world, they have foreigner limits, right? Uh, everywhere it's a little different. Japan, you have one. Uh, China, one. Russia, two. Italy, four. So Finland, it was three, and they had already hired a setter and an opposite, and they were waiting for this finished middle blocker. So they're like, we want to sign you, but if this finished middle blocker leaves, we have to take a four middle blocker, and we'll just take a local libero. And so I waited for like two months, and it's just like waiting, waiting. I have dreams of me waking up, looking at my phone, and I had a contract. I had dreams of waking up, looking at my phone, I didn't have a contract. And then finally that day, um, I remember it still so vividly, um, I got done with USA practice. I wasn't practicing. I was like wiping the floors. But I got the message saying that he signed and that they want me. And so that's how it started. I got my first contract in Finland and still was very slow to get going from there. But that was my start. That's great. You know, what's cool about that story is that, you know, it, it wasn't a clear path to the pros. You still have to put in work. You you still had to, you had to do your due diligence. You know, it just didn't, it wasn't handed to you. And you, I mean, clearly, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if it wasn't for that hard work you put after school and continuing to develop as an athlete and as a player, would that have led you to a pro contract or was that essential? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, even once I got the contract, it took, it took four years out of college to get into my first like real professional league. Cause the Finnish league, it's, it's a pretty low level. A lot of the Finnish guys have uh, another job or they're working as students. I would say 40% of the team is like truly professionals. And then I stayed there two years. The first year I got MVP um, as libero, um, or I got best, best libero and no contracts. And so I had to go back and I had a worse year and I just got lucky. Um, some teammates uh, from adult nationals were going to go and return to their team in France B. And so that was like my big break going to France B. <laughs> you know? So still like, it wasn't really anything. I had to continue to prove myself. And France B, once again, um, I was uh, awarded as best libero. And then uh, I was able to sign on another team for France B. Sorry, I'm going like kind of deep. Because uh, how it works as an overseas uh, athlete is you sign anywhere from two to four months before the season's over. Right now in Poland, we've played 10 games, but guys are already starting to sign. So we're not even halfway through and guys are signing for next year. So I had signed with like the, the biggest B team. Uh, in France and they ended up um, winning the playoffs and they were going to go to A. So I was like, I made it. I was an A libero. And then the team pretty much kicked me. They were just like, no, we don't want you anymore. And that was like a travesty, but eventually ended up getting a contract to Brazil. So that was like my first super league. And then uh, since then I've always kind of played more or less in top leagues, but four years, it, it took me a very, very long time. And then with the national team, it took me five and a half years of pretty much just wiping the floor to, finally start training. And then I, I got um, 
I was able to make a travel roster to um, the World League Finals when Reed Pretty got injured. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's 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 I find it's tougher for liberos to make pro than a lot of other positions. Um, it's 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 a challenge. So let's okay. Let's talk about some specifics here then, because I know everyone, coaches and players, listening to this, they're always the biggest question I get is always tips and tricks on passing. How it's it's the one of the toughest skills to train. Um, and there's all these different opinions on it. So we're hearing from the best here. When it comes to passing, how would you train it? How would you coach it? What should athletes be aware of? Whatever you got, let me hear it. I'm definitely not the best, but I'm probably the guy that looks into it the most because I'm not the best, right? Uh, kind of goes back to my story, right? I'm just this unathletic kind of goofy kid. But I always believe um, with intentional work, you can improve. And so I've looked into it a lot. Um, Eric Shoji, I think, is the best passer in the world. I watch him a lot. But there's a couple things and um, kind of address this in the, in the passing course I created. But um, kind of going with the days, uh, I think the first thing is like split step. Um, there's a lot of people or it's like split steps awful. It's good. You know, this, that. It's like, hey, whatever you think, that's great. But you have to be conscious of it because a lot of people think they're not split stepping, but they are. And if you're split stepping unconsciously, you're more than likely going to be leaning or off balance, which will lead you from being a great passer consistently. And so I think it's really important to look at the film. Am I split setting? Am I not? Am I off balance? And then from there, decide on the path. Okay, uh, I don't split step, but I can still be quick left, right, and in front of me. Um, now, for me, I created a split step because I was so slow to short balls. Now it's like one of the best things I'm at. I just had a, a game last night where I was actually able to poach a short serve to another passer, and I was like, stoked i was like oh my god i finally did it uh, so that's been something that's been really interesting for me trying to do a two foot foot split step but just always kind of being off balance and then recently uh watching a couple of polish liberos that do a one foot split step and i really love that because it's much more balanced efficient and i just feel i'm so much quicker laterally into short balls so split step i think is important second step um We'll say day two in the passing course is our arms. How do we start for our arms? You know, uh, I like to think of three ways. One is like the USA gold medal square where our arms are just hanging down loose. We're real relaxed. And then we go to the ball. I like uh, what I refer to in the course as South Perov, this Bulgarian libero where his arms are just kind of out. I like creating that space because as the ball comes, as we're tracking it, we're losing, 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 losing space. And so I want to exaggerate my arms out. Same thing like defense, right? the ball's coming, we're tracking, and as we're tracking, we're losing that space. And if we lose space, we're absolutely crashed. Um, and then the third is something that we're starting to see with a lot of young athletes because they're all learning it from Genia. Um, Genia, the French team libero, I would say the best libero right now in the world. Arms out wide. Um, one of the things I, I believe he does this, I've been talking a little bit with the Argentinian libero who does this as well, and also the Torski, the Polish libero is I think why this works so well is because naturally, no matter what you do, what you think you're doing, when the balls hit, your arms gravitate towards our midline. And I believe that's because when we're first taught how to play, the coach throws it to your midline, put your arms together, and you bump it. And so it's just so ingrained for us. And this is one thing I try to train myself. But when we start out wide, we come here, and then we realize balls to the right, and now I'm here. But if we start out shallower, it's here. And then when we move, we're going to be much slower and then our hips open up. 
So three ways to think about our arms. Uh, day three, I talk about individual arms. Um, I'll speak more about this. In, now let's speak about it right now. <laughs> uh, but this is one of the best coach, best tips I got from uh, John Sprawl, a Team USA coach, is to wait longer to connect the arms because that's what I used to do. I just go here, and then I'd pass balls like over my head. And I was really good at it, but you know what? Consistently, it's just not a technique we should be using. Uh, so what I've found is if I wait longer, and I'll tell myself this, I will like verbally say it when I train myself, you know, getting in earlier, staying in late, working on float serves or even jump serves, I'll tell myself, wait, 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 rather than connecting it and then reaching. So what I do, if I wait longer, I can track it now. I have to track it with my feet instead of just like here, I can pass here, I can pass here. Because you know what? I can pass this ball perfect, but at what percent? Rather than here, rather than here and here. And so by telling myself verbally, wait, 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 now I'm tracking it with my feet rather than with my platform where I chase balls. Because I can pass balls here, but if it floats a little bit further, you know, I'm out of luck. Um, and then I talk a lot about footwork, uh, four, five, six. We talk about footwork. Uh, I use Sergio as an example. Uh, I've learned so much from him. One thing I really like is the, the shuffle gather. And so moving his feet, but then gathering, getting that balance, kind of like a tennis split step. So he's always moving and regathering, and then he can adjust. Um, day five, we talk about the crossover, which I think is key for liberos, right? If you, if you really believe you're a great libero or you're destined to be great, you need to take more court, 100%. And coaches will love this, right? Being aggressive. Because everyone is going to have a guy on their team that's a little goofier, a little taller, can hit balls a little bit harder, but they're not the best passers, right? So what are you going to do? You're just going to let him pass every single ball and shank most of them? No, like you need to take control and run the backcourt. And so for me, using this three-step crossover, I think is key. I love teaching this with younger athletes. Same thing. I had a game the other week where our fourth, our, our fourth outside had to play. And usually he's confident with floats and was just getting crushed. And so I was just like, hey, you're out. Here you go. Like, and it can be good too because maybe they're great on the pipe and teams serving short. And if you know they've served five balls short to this guy, the sixth ball is probably going to be short. Let him go on the pipe, go get it, make the ball perfect, and now your setter has four options. So the crossover step I think is big in training this. And uh, we're not being so tricky, but we can make that decisive move when the Server tosses the ball and still get balanced and be able to react left or right. Um, and in day seven, I like to teach about space. I think space is pretty much everything when we talk about passing. Days one, two, and three kind of set up the foundation for how we can create space before the serve. Uh, but kind of have you, uh, I saw the post uh, you referenced me. Um, there's going to be blowback too. So we got to find ways how are we creating that space. A lot of times we can let the arms go to our left or to our So with the blowback, uh, we just have to be conscious of this, right? Because if our arms hit our body, something has to give. And what's going to give is our hips. And when our hips give, our whole angle changes. Uh, and then it just throws everything off. And so there's different ways we can go left, right, up, go through our legs on low balls, uh, what I call sacrificing, where our arms go out to the side and our body just falls, and just keeping the platform outside of our body. Of course, we can step back as we pass, or we can lift up the hip, 
or the need to create a little bit more space. But for me, spacing is key. And then all the things I previously talked about are kind of building the foundation. Once we're there, we understand how to create that angle. We understand how to move. Then the last thing is creating space upon contact, making sure we keep that space. Right. Oh, there's such great points. Split step, creating space, what to do with the arms. You know, one here, here's one thing I have for you. Do you find, like, I always teach this thing, like minimize movement to maximize efficiency. If you could take three steps to get to a position instead of five, that's what you want to do. Now, you talked about uh, moving your feet, getting behind the ball and, and or just taking a three step or two steps. Do you find that at the higher level, the ball is served too fast where you don't have enough time to take three or step, four steps or all these steps where it's really important just to get your platform behind the ball? Or do you find that, no, if, you, if you're trained properly, you will have enough time to take as many steps as you need. Like, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, we played a server last night um, where it wasn't possible to get one step. It's just opening up your knee and hip to allow you to get more. And so there's times like that, but um, yeah, we have to be quick and that's where the split step comes. I think if it's a float serve, we need to get at least two steps and then if you can, a gather. Uh, because when we're reaching outside of our body, say we just make one step and reach outside of our body, we're vulnerable. We're like really vulnerable. And I got aced a couple of times last night because of this. I was outside my body, but his serve is 70 plus miles per hour and it's floating. So I'm like seeing that line and I'm outside my body and then the ball moves at the last second. I can't adjust. I have no legs. I have no hips. Everything's outside my body. And so when we get outside of our body, yeah, we can make this pass, but we're so vulnerable to last second changes. Maybe we don't see the line correctly. Maybe the line isn't straight. There's actually a curve, right? Maybe the ball hits the tape. Maybe it floats. And so when we're outstretched, we're really vulnerable. And so on jump serves, yeah, maybe we get a step and we have to do the best we can. And I think a lot can help by waiting with our arms to connect. And then with float serves, we need to get at least a shuffle. And if we can, a gather. If we know where the float serve is going, um, like if I'm going to pull someone or I get a quick read on the ball, three-step crossover is much more efficient and can take a lot more court than two um, shuffle steps. Sorry, like two combined shuffle steps. Right. So the reason you, you're taking these steps is so that, so that in the event the ball changes direction, you're stable enough where you can then change your angle or modify your platform to get it to your target. Is that right? Absolutely. So it, let's see if I can show it here. Uh, it's, it's being here, right? We're like leaning over here and the ball moves. I can't like move here. But if I'm balanced and the ball moves to my right, then I can open up my hip and create space. And so that last second adjustment, I think it's really important to put ourselves in a position where we can make that last second adjustment. Uh, the one day I didn't mention was day six. This was something I knew nothing about until I just like went deep into Sergio film. But what he does a really good job, and um, a couple of players in Poland do this too. Tomek Fornal is a really interesting player. I think a lot of people should watch. He's only 21, maybe 22. I played with him when he was 18 and 19. And when he was 19, he was already one of the best players in the league. But what he does really well in Sergio, too, they step and not having time to bring the other foot up, they slide it. So they slide it, and then the ball hits the tape, they're in a balanced position to, to adjust or to take a step rather than just like, I'm lunged and that's it. And so they do a step and a slide if they can't get 
a shuffle step in. I found it really, really, really interesting. Right. So I, I like that. So you're the whole point is you don't you want to minimize your vulnerability as much as possible because the more stretched out you are, the more vulnerable the more vulnerable you are um, in terms of changing when the ball changes. So that's where the feet come in, and that's how all these different footwork patterns you're talking about help with that. Absolutely. We just want to put ourselves in the best situation to consistently be great, right? It's the same thing about the contact, right? We want to give a contact where it's just everything's locked out, right? And if you pass the ball and you hold it consistently, you know where the ball is going to go. If you pass the ball and just throw your arms up and throw your hips, like, you know, I'm good enough where I can make it perfect 50, 60% of the time. But when my arms are out locked, it's 100% of the time. And so these things where it's just finding out how we can be more balanced, simpler, and we can consistently be great. So those are the things for me. How can we be balanced? How can we be simple? How can we be consistently great? And so those are all the kind of the days like kind of coming together, balanced, simple, and great consistently. Right. I like that. Here, I, one, one thing too about passing, and you can completely disagree with me if you think I'm out of whack with this, but when I was growing up, you know, we were taught to be stopped on contact. So that's naturally how I, I was, you know, I was taught how to pass. And that's how when I first started coaching, I, I taught that as well. But I found that as I got to the higher level, I don't teach stop on contact anymore. I teach get your platform behind the ball and make sure it's angled towards your target. If you're still moving or if you need to hop and adjust to make sure that happens, I would rather that than focus on the stopped on contact. And we had a like we had a five. So in our college gym, we had a five three libero. And he was just too small to move his entire body and establish his angle and platform behind the ball. So we figured out a way that, well, if he could hop on that one foot, really establish his platform, drop his inside shoulder and get that angle, he was more successful instead of trying to focus on being stopped. Now, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, again, like there's a lot of different ways to pass. Uh, One thing I do a lot is this sacrifice movement where I, I meet the ball with my platform and my body, like right after that contact, my body just flies left, right. Maybe I sprawl forward, right? And it's just like pure focus on the platform. But where this gets in trouble, last night, same thing. It's like when the ball's floating because now I'm like stretched out and the ball moves back and I try to come back and it's just like pop and ace. And so... There's time and place for everything, but uh, for sure, if we can be balanced, if we can have both legs on the floor, once again, we're going to be able to produce more consistent results. Uh, but, you know, if our hips up, we can do this. We can pass balls in between our legs and fall back. We can sprawl and be perfect. But are these going to bring the most consistent results? Probably not. And so I think on contact, we're balanced. We're in a slight lunge, nothing too crazy. Uh, but again, we can't dictate these situations as passers. We just kind of have to adapt wherever the ball is. Right, right. Yeah, this this like this whole conversation just opens your mind up to like there's no one way to pass a volleyball. There's it, there's so many different variables and things you got to consider. And this is kind of like one of the things we preach in our gym is we want to train. We don't necessarily want to train what's right. We want to train what's real. And in, what you're talking about here is there's so many different situations that can occur that you have to train for it's not just one size fits all i don't know if you do yeah yeah 100 i mean like this creating this course was like the 
best thing to happen in my career because like watching this and like I try not when I watch video I try to use like this uh Timothy Galloway like the inner game of tennis where I'm just like observing and being curious I'm not judging like good bad oh that's great I'm like oh that's interesting huh he does this often that's interesting he's a really good passer he does this often one thing I'm really bad at is high balls when I pass the balls I don't do anything with my feet right I just pass it my arms if i don't get a clean look my arms bonk into my body and that's right these shanks when it's low it's fine because i can pass and let my body fly you can't fall back on high balls right and so one of the big changes i made to the game was passing balls high and then extending the space with my feet so walking back with my feet like on jump serves or jump floats um, this really helped me a lot realizing on high balls here you know we don't want to be stuck in our midline because if the ball comes Again, our arm is going to come back, but watching Eric, he does a really good job of contacting when it gets close, releases up. And so there's a lot of different ways. It's not just one size fit all. It's like, hold your platform, push a little bit. It's just like, no, it doesn't work. There's a lot of different ways you can train it. And so training uh, athletes, I like to do, you know, small drills where it's just like you're tossing it or you're even throwing the ball in these different places. Throw the ball here, throw the ball at the leg or at the knee. And then they have to create that space like that. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Space spacing is so huge, especially with younger athletes. And I, I talk about like biomechanically, your body is not used to establishing a platform out here. It's, it's uncomfortable. So you have to train your body to get comfortable with these motions and being used to making that movement of passing outside your body and creating that space. Um, and the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Uh, and I found that with our younger athletes, they hated it. It's so uncomfortable for that. But then. And once you train it, I don't know if there's anything called muscle memory, but that's kind of what happens. Okay. Exactly. It's just like this, the subconscious absorbing it and then just being able to run on autopilot. Like when I play in the games now, there's, there's really no thought. I'm just like, there's the ball. I put my arms out and it's just like, it's, it's subconscious is like running the show. Right. All right. This is, this is great stuff on passing. Let's, uh, let's transition to, to digging now. The, the element of defense. What can you share with us uh, in your experience on digging defense? How should we train it? What should we look for? What are the cues? Let's hear it. I think the big thing is just getting kids stoked on it. Um, when I do defense, I love doing like coach on one and like getting all the kids fired up. Because there's a thin line of like, oh, we're doing defense or like, oh, heck yeah, we're doing defense. And so I think the coach has a lot of responsibility of like, you're not just like hucking balls like 20 feet away. You're throwing it like low, but like a foot away where they have to like lunge out and get it. Uh, the big thing for me is uh, kind of like joking, like there's no easy bucket mindset, but it's just like, that's it. It's like the best defensive players in the world just have an unbelievable mindset. They get in the game and it's just like, nothing's going to hit the floor. And like when I was in college, like I was an awful defensive player, but I just had this mindset where it's just like, I'm going to beat the ball to the floor. That was it. And then my senior year, I think I was uh, second in digs in the nation. I was like, what? How did this happen? But it was just the mindset, and the mindset creates results. So I think that's really big. Um, one thing uh, I, I, like, I love to teach, I love to introduce it to young athletes is the scoop. Uh, I learned the scoop in my last year in college from Tyler Hillebrand, who's working with the national team. Uh, now you see this with Satorsky. You see this with Genia. Um, pretty much – every libero in the world because we don't really have time 
or digging in area five where it's a quick, big, even a line attack to put our arms together and then reach out to the right or reach out to the left. We can just get lucky, put our arms together, hits us in the midline, but it's really hard. So just waiting, balls in the midline, we come together, scoop, balls to my right, scoop of one arm. If I have time, two here, balls to my left, same thing, because we have double, not triple the space when we're scooping with our palms up rather than our palms are down. So I love those as well. And then uh, in the digging course, uh, this seventh day, I really uh, geeked out on this like complete toolbox. So it's like, how do you get the tip? Well, there's a lot of different ways, you know, in between, I, I don't like teaching. I don't like teaching the pancake, but I also don't like coaches saying never pancake because you, you have to pancake sometimes, you know, it's just like circumstances are going to allow it. And so you have to understand it. Sometimes it's even better than attempting to go for a regular dig because you just don't have that time and you try and dig it and you throw it under the net or into the crowd where you pancake it, you can still get a set out of it. So there's the pancake, there's in between the pancake, the flipper, which, you know, we have great, uh, we have a ton of room and then, uh, uh, God, when I get in pulling my English, gets so bad. Uh, <laughs> we have a, we have a, what is this called? We have a great ability to flip it back. And then uh, we have like the, the back regular. End. The back back. End. What am I trying to like this movement, like to bring it back? I, I don't, I flipper. I don't know. I can't get flipper out of my head now. No, just <laughs> like putting your wrist, the wrist movement. The wrist movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever. Okay. But, um, and then, uh, you know, backhand to uh, closed fist, closed fist, but the regular dive. And then open hand scoop. I think the open hand scoop is like something that's really amazing for pursuit balls, but only pursuing balls outside of the court or behind us because we really don't have a lot of control. We have a huge surface area and we can really snap it back, but we don't have a lot of control. So again, time and place, you know, where are we pursuing balls? Which, which tool are we going to use? And I, I think if I knew this when I was a kid or I knew this when I was a collegiate athlete i just would be so much better because i'd be so much clearer because back then it was just pure will and it was pretty it was good enough but you know when i got to being a pro that pure will wasn't good enough because i wasn't technically strong enough so it took me a long time just to raise my level and climb leagues when you know the guys i'm competing about competing against now in poland they were playing in the top league in poland when they're 18 it took me i think i was 29 my first year in poland so, you know, it took some time, but one of the big things that helped me is just really understanding the game and like really looking at it. Why do I shank balls? I don't know. I'm doing my best. I'm thinking, you know, but you watch the video. It's like, oh, my platform hits my body. Why do I get ace? You know, I'm not doing a good job moving my feet and getting balanced. I'm more vulnerable. I'm not going to get ace every time, but, you know, maybe 5%, 10% of the time I'm going to get ace because I'm really vulnerable reaching outside of my body. So uh, with defense, the big thing is mindset, and there's a couple of keys. I love scooping. Uh, I think a big thing I like to teach is hips forward. When we, we think about our hips forward, our arms naturally go away from our body. And if a ball catches us by surprise, our natural angle is going to go straight up. So I love this as well. And then uh, I talk a little bit outside the uh, complete toolbox, a little bit about talent, right? Using our elbows and our wrists to uh, curl the ball back. So sometimes we're going to need this talent. Again, we wish we could just put our arms out and everything's perfect and we hold our platform like, you know, gold medal square or whatever, but, you know, we're going to have to use the talent. We have to get weird. And then uh, 
Also digging balls with the chest. I think this is a really good skill to teach uh, for a couple of reasons. One, we're going to dig more balls by just sitting. We just move our arms up, dig it against our chest, and it'll pop up. But the best thing about this is we do this rather than jumping and trying to get it for our platform. Because a lot of times we're going to jump, try to get it for our platform, and the ball actually never even comes to us. It's hit off the block. Should be an easy touch, but we're jumping in the air, and now we can't get it. So it's one of those things that kind of goes back to passing where we're going to consistently dig more balls. If we just sit, we're just sitting the whole time and we have an idea of what we're going to do for wherever the ball is. Ball is outside my body, one arm, easy. Ball is inside my body, scoop. If I have time, I'm going to connect my arms. Ball is on my chest. I'm just going to sit. I'm not going to jump and panic, bring my arms up, dig, my, dig the ball into my chest so it has that backspin and comes up perfectly. Ball is high. I understand the most efficient move is just to use my elbows and I'm here. So we understand how to get every ball around us while allowing ourselves to continue to be in a balanced and athletic position to reward the block with a touch and to go get the tip. Okay. I've never heard of digging with your chest, but that is brilliant. Like that is such an interesting idea. You're absolutely like you hit it. Yeah. Cause I'm thinking back to what, what happens. When we train our players. And when I see our libs try to dig those balls and yeah, they jump and you know, different things happen. But if they had, if they even thought to use their chest in the way that you, you showed us. Yeah. That's uh, I've never heard of that before. That's interesting. I'll send you a video last year. I had like, I had like one game where I dug like four balls with my chest. I was just like, I don't know what's happening, but I was just like, just sitting and it's just, I learned this watching Riley, Salmon, and Donnie Sujo. And the best way to train this, and it's a fun way too for the athletes to do something different, is they just stand like a foot or two apart and they're just like throwing balls at each other. So it's like you learn to be creative, right? There's some balls where like the ball's here. What do you do? Do you jump? No, you just have to go like this and like create an angle. So I've done a couple balls like this in my life where I'm just sitting and it's a pipe. I'm just like, but so for listeners that can't see what Dustin's doing, he's just bringing his elbow up and creating that tension in his shoulder area. So when the ball hits the chest, it's, 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 you know, it's strong and it's also in a position where it can go up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. 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 So Donnie Sujo was great. Uh, he was, he was awesome. Cause I was just wiping the floor and this is old national team center. And he used to come with me and we just pepper sometimes like two feet apart. We just crush balls and like learn how to like go around kind of what like Irvin, uh, can't say his name, Irvin Ingenpath. Ingenpath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Path, yeah, yeah. But these French guys are so good; they can dig everything. The off blockers, they just dig again. It's, it's not just one way to dig a ball. You have to be creative in how you dig. So uh, I'll send you a, a clip. I had like like ten or so digs last year, just kind of sitting, and the ball came here, and I just kind of did a good job, just being patient and flipping it up. This year, I've actually been really impatient, <laughs> and I haven't done a good job digging balls that are high. But last year, there's a, a, I did really good at it. And then you just, again, you allow yourself to be in a balanced athletic position where your legs are primed. And again, team defense, you reward the blocks so the blockers aren't mad, coach is happy, and then you're in the best position to get the tip or a ball, you know, uh, spashed or fluffed. Right. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I never thought about that. I, mean, I need to go and look at some film from our team and see how we can implement that. That's a really great way of training. And you're right. Like, There's no one way to dig a ball. It's not just with your platform. It's with literally everything that you could get behind the ball or under the ball to pop it up. So that's that's really cool. What about um, 
Okay, so digging, defense, cue reading. What about reading? Like the toughest skill in the game, but probably one of the most important skills of the game, reading. How do you feel about that? How do you train that? Yeah, I talk about this and uh, I think it's day four of the digging course. Uh, one of the best advice I got or tips was from Matt Furbringer, uh, who was a professional, played on the AVP tour, FIVB tour, and then was our assistant coach for USA for a while. Uh, but he talked about, especially for line diggers, being able to use the antenna. And I think it's really good for when the ball gets pushed out. It's just like, you can't stay in your line, right? So using that as a guide as well. And then I always like just being a little bit inside uh, the blockers, inside shoulders and so or outside shoulders. And so we can come into the court to make up some space rather than kind of coming back. Yeah. Uh, but when I'm looking at a hitter, uh, usually I just try and take his line of approach um, and wherever his hips are facing because give or take, he's going to cut back a little bit or he's going to go wrist away a little bit. There's guys like David Smith where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be on the 10-foot line because he's just going to cut it. And so I think there's always work you can do, um, even if you're a club, you're a club player, right? You know, what are you doing during those off games? Like go scout the next team and where they're hitting balls to. Everyone has tendencies, um, especially in high balls. What do they do in high balls, you know? Guys have tendencies. If it's a high ball, they like to tip. If it's a high ball, they go high line. If it's a high ball, they like to do a shot in the middle of the court. And these plays are great, but if the other team knows what you're doing, then they're not great. So it's kind of like this, uh, this 4D chess where it's like, if you know what they're going to do before they do it, even like a great play, you know, it really doesn't work. You can have a guy that's like jumping 12 feet and he goes over the block every time. But if that defender is in that position, it actually works out for the other team. So it's like, please go over us because we know what you're going to do. And so uh, big keys for me is uh, hips um, and then using the block and using the antenna to cancel out possibilities for the attacker to hit. Okay, say that one more time, the last bit, and explain that because that's super important for our listeners. Using the antenna and the block to cancel out where they could potentially hit. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I just want to be in the clear path. And so... Say if you have like a middle going up and taking like his cutback and then you just stay in the wrist away. You know, we don't have to fight to get behind it. We want to be in that path. And then not only can the hitters not hit it in that area, but if we're behind them, we're not, we're not going to have vision at all. And so we're exactly. going to miss up on like cues of the, the shoulder dropping and then seeing it's going to be a tip. And so we just want vision and we just want to put ourselves uh, outside of where the block is. Yeah, that's great advice. And the faster and earlier you learn how to do this and how to read in this way, the more successful you're going to be at digging. Because yeah, digging is reading and and everything else you said. Um, all right, let's transition. You've given us some amazing insight on passing and digging. I mean, there's listen, many of my listeners, you're going to have to replay this episode and take some notes because there's a ton of great stuff that Dustin talked about. Um, I want to kind of shift gears into talking about your national uh, team and pro team. What does it look like for a libero at a pro practice, at a national team practice? Yeah. Uh, before that, all, all my thoughts, you know, I, I sell these courses, but I also like, uh, I created uh, all these courses also for free as well. And so it, it doesn't come with the video, but you guys just go to my Instagram and uh, I have a link tree and you get the passing course, digging course, everything for free. So I just revamped it and put a couple more videos in it photos i want i want everyone to have access to it no matter what it's important for me to kind of figure out if like 
this is a smart business decision with my time. Like, will people eventually buy this? But the big thing for me is to give this information out for free. And so anyone can get it for free. It doesn't matter where you are, how much money you have, how much money your parents have, you can get it for free. And so no listeners, I'm going to put Dustin's information in the show notes. And what I want you to do is you're going to click on that and it's going to go to either his Instagram or we'll, we'll talk after and, and what the best way to get to his information. And then listen, one of the things you have to, like, I always talk about education being super important. And when it comes to passing and digging, it's like, there's, if you got any value out of what Dustin was talking about with passing and digging today in this short podcast episode, can you imagine the value you're going to get when you go through his seven days of training the past and training the dig? It's going to be so much more in depth and you're going to get so much more value out of it. So don't let this pass. Um, his information is in my show notes. I want you to go and access his stuff because clearly the guy knows what he's talking about. He is revolutionizing some of the things that we've been trained to do in the past and dig and imagine how much more value and how much more of a better player or coach you're going to be after going through his stuff. So uh, I will have it in the show notes, Dustin. Uh, we'll talk about wh what links to get it set up, but we'll have it so they'll have access to that information. Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal to help people accomplish their goals quicker by giving them better information with pros. Nice. But, uh, so yeah, so yeah. to my question, team, uh, national team, pro team, what does it look like as a libero inside there? Uh, national team, a lot of times sitting out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I've, uh, there's been some years where at the end of the year, it's just me and Eric, but usually uh, I'm on the second side with a third libero, maybe a fourth libero changing sides. And so um, just really... Um, being patient, you know, it's really hard because uh, when you're in a position like that and you're competing against other guys, you're just so focused on the outcome, right? And sometimes in practice, you pass two or three balls that are statted. Maybe that first ball, you get aced. And so uh, it's really interesting, this like huge, like push, like let's get it. And then like trying to like cancel out like the panic and just trying to be still. Um, and so it's an interesting dynamic with Team USA. Um, trying to figure out those times where um, you can try new things and fail and be okay. Or now it's time to compete. Like I need to play well and have my stats look good to make sure I make that travel roster. So uh, with Team USA, I try to get in there early. Um, try to get there early, get a good warm up, And then usually I'm always um, working somehow with some different coach or some different players working on my touch or working on digging, get someone on a box. Same thing usually after practice. Uh, when we're working with the national team, it's so small. It's like three, maybe four months. And so each day it's just like, let's get the most out of it. We're, we're barely here. Uh, not only do I want to help um, make a roster and be great for the team if I'm called upon, but just overall in general and just set a high standard. Guys like Matt Anderson and Michael Christensen do an amazing job like this. They're always in there early getting extra reps as well. And I think it's really important for the young guys to see that rather than uh, this belief where it's just like, ah, oh, I've been good enough so far. Like, I'm just going to figure it out. I'll eventually make a team because there are a lot of athletes that uh, come into the gym like that. And uh, they're there for one year, two years and they're out and they were great athletes in college. And so I think it's important uh, really get in there early, stay late and, uh, Set, set the tone for the national team for those young guys to see what it means to be a pro. Um, for the professional, for pro, um, a lot more work because for the national team, we're in there in the morning. You know, uh, we practice at 9.30. 
maybe we have a lift after maybe we don't and that's it for the day it's pretty freaking nice <laughs> they, they do a really good job um in my opinion they do a great job with the scheduling so they don't burn us out and so when we come back to america we're able to still do what we love uh, but not feel that we're getting crushed because there's a lot of national teams where their training camps are like enforced they're just like away from civilization no family no girlfriends no wife and they're just there trained two three times a day and they just get crushed uh, i don't think that's the way to do it um professional level you know uh, it's just a lot of work usually the first day of the week you got lifting and then you'll have a night practice the the next day you're probably going to have a technical practice and then um at the night, you'll have training. The third day, technical and lifting. And then a night practice. And then the fourth day, morning will be free. You'll train at night. Fifth day, um, you'll travel or you'll train the gym once. And then the next day, that'll be the game. So uh, it can get going pretty quick. And uh, the big thing over here is, uh, I think, recovery. That's the big thing. Because it's such a long season. And physically and mentally and emotionally, you just ride these waves, right? But it's also possible not to ride these waves. Like last night, we had our first 03 uh, sweep of the year, and it sucked. But, you know, we just didn't play that well. And the team that we're playing in has a much bigger budget, and they played really well. And so it's like, personally, I, I didn't have the best game. I, I played okay, but it wasn't the best game. And so... In the past, you know, the emotions would be shame, anger, sadness, disbelief. Why this happened? This sucks. What do these guys think of me? And the thing is, if we really want to be a great athlete, we want to grow, we need to cut these things off. It's fat. And so what these things do is it siphons the time, energy, and clarity from moving on. Siphons the time, energy, and clarity from learning from it the time, energy, and clarity from creating intention from our failures. And so professional, there's a lot of hard work, uh, but I think a lot of it for me, because I, I, I had to catch up, right, for the national team. I wasn't playing for five and a half years. For me, this is where I catch up on and off the court. I'm very intentional what I'm doing, how I'm preparing myself, how I'm recovering. Um, if I have free time throughout the day, you know, I'm working on something. It's uh, usually on body I'm watching film of uh, great players. I'm watching film of the other team. I'm watching film of myself. I'm reading books to help me get in control of my emotions in the morning and evening, spending that time meditating to make sure when these, uh, these nasty thoughts come up in the game of how bad I am or how crappy our team is or why are we losing and the coach's fault, I just allow these thoughts to be. I don't attach myself to it. I let them dissolve and I get to the next play. So overseas, for me at least, there's just um, constant work on and off the court and helping myself be able to be more consistent and not get too caught up in the highs and lows of the season. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice and good insight into like, the, the process. It's, it's crazy. Um, okay, I got two more for you before I let you go. Um, if you could go back to yourself, to your younger self, and you were starting this journey, all over again, what would you tell yourself? From which time point? Because that's where I got to say, I got to think like uh, high school, college, or like before okay. I started pro? Let's go high school. Okay. Let's take you back. High school, you know what? I think I did everything right. Uh, 
And this kind of goes on. We were talking a little bit before. TJ Sanders, the Canadian who I have a lot of respect for, a really good friend, a lot of great thoughts about volleyball. He's talking about how not to judge. We, we got to be careful of judging things, right, good or bad. Because my start, my start with volleyball was I had no friends. So going from middle school to high school, all my friends went to another high school, and I went to this high school. I didn't fit in at all. I didn't have any friends. My dad was a teacher. I would go eat lunch in his classroom. I was like embarrassed, really insecure. I didn't fit in at all, right? And that freshman year, I picked up volleyball. And the best thing that happened, which was in quotation marks, the worst thing to ever happen was I had no friends. And so what I did every day, my dad was a teacher, played some volleyball. We woke up, went to the beach and played all day. I came back, taught my brother who was 10 how to pepper. When he got bored, I hit the ball against the wall on the roof. When it got dark, I go inside. I draw these bullseyes and put them to the wall, set myself, set the bullseye. And so I just played and I played and I played and I played and I was so bad when I first started when I first started my team went to JOs and we were in the worst division this junior olympics for non-americans where these uh, club teams go for the final tournament we were in the worst division and got last place so right away I was like I knew I was bad but I was just like can I be a little bit better how can I improve and so it was just so easy for me to lose for a lot of people, it was just like, oh, I'm losing. Now I quit or I've won, won, won. Now I lose. Oh, man, I'm not good enough. For me, I was just like, lose, 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 lose. I was like, who cares? Like, just keep on playing. And so uh, not necessarily advice for me, but for other young players, it's just like lose and be fine with it. Because when you lose, you're going to learn more than when you win. When you win, you're like, oh, I did a great job. Like, pat yourself on the back. When you lose, you have to look within. And it's like, oh, what went wrong? Could I have done something a little better? Could I have trained better? Could I have put more effort into getting better sleep? Was I eating junk food? Was I playing too much video games the night before? Now you have to be introspective. If you really want to grow, right, you have to recap. And I have a journal. We can maybe give out a code to the listeners. I, I sell this journal that I use every day. But more often, I want to give it away for free because I believe it's so powerful for kids to be intentional how they start the day, cultivating gratitude. And at the end of the day, what we do is recap. So the most important thing is three things that went well. Because when I was with the national team, I started practice. Nothing went well. I was the worst. I got aced. I couldn't do anything right. But you know what? I'm playing against Matt Anderson, Mike Christensen, and Matt Holt. Like, of course, I'm not going to do well. They're the best players in the world. And so it forced me to find things I was doing that, I, that did go well. Because before that, I was just like, I left practice. I was like, I suck. I'm terrible. And it just ruin the rest of my day and then going into the next day i was kind of sad and didn't really have any hope in myself but at the end of the day three things you did well find those three things and then what was the biggest challenge what did i learn from it what can i improve tomorrow what i'm going to do differently tomorrow so we go from challenge to solution to intention just like that and that's the biggest thing it's just like being okay with failing but also having the toolbox to use that fail here and to repackage it into a solution and then the next day's intention and then just every day having intention. So um, that's my advice. I, I fell into, you know, almost like uh, 
the perfect foundation to grow when I was younger because I was so bad. I lost and I had so much free time. So I just played and I learned. I didn't care. I was losing because I just loved it so much and I wanted to be better. Wow. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sucks when kids lose and get discouraged and, you know, it's either step away from the game. And that's actually one thing that even me and Sprott talk about all the time for younger athletes. As coaches, your objective is to make it fun. They have to be having fun. And like you said, losing isn't failure. Losing is learning. That's how we do in our gym. Like losing is a learning opportunity. So if you can learn from it and change that mindset, have fun when you play the game, the game will not only grow, but you'll have less athletes falling off at such a younger age. Um, You kind of went into my last question, which which I was going to say, do you have any final thoughts to share with our listeners? But you 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 had a great script. But regardless, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think... Where the burnout and the fun ceases is from the parents. And it's not from the parents on purpose. Because here's what happens with people that are familiar with growth mindset and fixed mindset. Uh, parents wanting for what's best to their kids, right? They celebrate the wins, right? Great job. You won. You won. You did it. And as a kid, as an athlete, you're like, yeah, I won. And my parent loves me. What happens when you lose? The parent's like, oh, tough. You know? Oh, it's nothing really bad, but it's not. Oh, you're the best. We love you, right? And so for the parents and coaches out there, this is troubling because the reaction is due to the outcome. And I guess I'm going to put my parents on a pedestal my parents always told me they were proud of me. They always told me they were proud of me. Uh, I remember there was one game in club where I knew Sparrow was recruiting me. And I played the game, and I played awful. And I knew Sparrow was watching. And he was like, it was just him and Long Beach that were recruiting me. By the time, I didn't know Long Beach was recruiting me. So he was recruiting me, and I was just like, I had the work, I had a bad game, and I – I was just like, oh, I had a bad game. You know, like as normal athletes, it's like you get, you invest yourself with the outcome because the outcome in a weird way, like dictates who you are and if your teammates like you and et cetera, et cetera. But I was like, oh, I have a bad game. My parents are like, we're really proud how you competed, right? Because how I compete, it's completely in my control. If I win or play well, that's not completely in my control. My parents said, we're really proud how you competed. And in my head, I was like, oh, I played bad. You know, I was like, ah. Oh. And my dad said again, like, we're really proud how you competed out there. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I did compete well. And so that was really powerful for me. And it, I would say only until I got to Brazil where that was like wiped clean because there it's just like, it's hard, man. It's like iron sharpens iron. And if you're not good, they're going to let you know. But before that, I was just never afraid to fail because my parents were proud of me and it goes so deep, right? As humans, we want to love and we want to be loved. And pretty much everything we do stems out of these two things. And so I knew I was loved for my ability to compete well. And there were some times where I was a bad competitor. For anyone that coached or played against me in college, like I wasn't the best competitor. I would curse a lot. And, like I wasn't really a nice guy. Um, but uh, there were some times where I wasn't a good competitor and my parents were like, hey, we weren't proud of you how you competed. And you know, I put my head down, but it was just like, 
that's what I needed to hear. And so for the parents out there, uh, it's difficult, but I think reward them on the things that are completely in their control. I'm proud of you for being such a great teammate. I'm proud of you, how you supported your team. I'm proud of the energy you brought. I'm proud of how you competed. I'm proud of how hard you played rather than I'm happy you won or you played so good because you know, at any moment, those things can be taken away. And then it's just like, it drops, you know, they're like, it drops below them. And now it's like, I'm not good. I'm not worthy. I'm not loved. And it's just like, no, you're still loved. It's just like, just because you're not winning doesn't mean anything. So I think we have to be really careful with the terminology and the vocabulary we use with our athletes. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such a great answer. And it's, it's funny because it, that, that can apply, that applies to so much, right? Like your effort, your ability to compete is entirely in your control. It has nothing to do with the, the game. So yeah, I, I, I love that. All right, listen, Dustin, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I, uh, I know it's, it's late, in, late at night where you are, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to educate our listeners. And I'm sure listeners, you got a lot of value out of today's episode. Um, we talked about a ton of different things. I myself am going to have to re-listen to, to this episode to take some of my own notes. Um, and Dustin, really quick, if these listeners want to get in contact with you, if they want to get some of your stuff, where should they go? We'll make sure we link it up in the show notes as well. Where, where should they go to get in touch with you? Pretty much uh, everything stems out of my Instagram. Find me there, Dustin Juan. I, I respond pretty much to every DM. I was looking at a, a volleyball page the other day, and this guy was like, I get 100 DMs a month. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't respond to everyone. I was like, man, I get like a hundred DMs like <laughs> every three days, but you know, that's like, that's where I want to be of service. Like, um, I've been so fortunate at, at times in my life to really have like everything I wanted, but, um, just my ability to, to search out some different books and experience in myself, life isn't complete without being of service to others. And so Physically, there's a lot of time where I can't be of service to others. Where I'm in Poland this summer, it's going to change. I, I'm I don't I won't be with the national team, so I'm going to do a lot of traveling and help out. But this is the one one of the ways where I try to be of service to others. And if you have a question, I'll, I'll answer it on Instagram. Like I'm happy to help. I don't like for how much I post on Instagram. I really don't like being on Instagram. But you know, it's a way to connect with people. It's a way to provide things that I believe are beneficial. And then uh, at the same time, it's a way to share my failures with the next generation in hopes that they can hurdle that and accomplish their goals that much quicker. So everything you can find me on Instagram, uh, just open the new website, Dusty Watton, which you can find the link on Instagram, passing course, defensive course for free. It's on Instagram. And then for those that want to go a little bit to uh, mindfulness, I just released a, uh, a free meditation course on Instagram as well. And so um, you guys have any questions, reach out. Um, I just want to help, um, especially while I'm an athlete. And that's pretty much just every second of every day. I'm just trying to figure out how I can help the next generation of athletes. And I love it. It's, it's really fun. I'm at, yo, we appreciate it so much. Thank you for taking the time out. Listeners, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. All right. Cue the music. Look. 
Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.